All right, this is it. Final sermon. I thought, what should I do for my final sermon? Well, on a very general level, level I'm going to do what I've been doing for the past 10 years, and that is preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I can truly say, by God's grace, certainly not perfectly, but my aim has been to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And so, for a final sermon is certainly not the time to change course and do something different, um, and I don't think I ever would. No, I want to continue to do what I've been doing, and that is to proclaim the glory of Christ, to proclaim the sufficiency of Christ, to remind you as I remind myself that Christ alone is sufficient to save and secure and transform our lives. And so in doing that, the, the text that I want us to go to is Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 28 to 36. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 9, and for context's sake, we're going to begin reading in verse 27. In verse 27, this is Jesus speaking. He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took them, with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they, that is the disciples, kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Well, to begin to make sense of what happened when Jesus' appearance was amazingly altered, we need to consider the preceding context that led to this amazing event. And it's a context where Jesus has been teaching about the necessity of the cross, how he must go to the cross for our salvation and how we, his followers, must take up the cross for his namesake. The cross is central to Christianity, central to knowing who Jesus is and what he came to do, and central to our understanding of what it means to follow him in this now time. And yet, and yet, the cross is central, but it's also not final. Meaning Jesus' sacrificial death wasn't the end, but the beginning. 
It wasn't a defeat, but a victory. And that's why amidst all this talk about the cross, Jesus also, in this context, speaks words of resurrection, glory, and the kingdom of God. Look, if you will, back at verse 22 of chapter 9. Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to be killed. But then he adds, and yet on the third day, I'll be raised. Skip down to verse 26. Jesus says, the Son of Man, the one who came to suffer, will return in his glory. And then verse 27, which we heard a moment ago, Jesus says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The victory of Jesus' resurrection the glory of His return, and the manifestation of His kingdom. These are the promises Jesus gave amidst all the talk about the cross and its necessity. And it's the last of these promises that some would be standing there who wouldn't taste death until they'd seen the kingdom of God that actually sets up the extraordinary event known as Jesus' transfiguration. Now, in saying this, I don't believe verse 27 is referring directly to the transfiguration. I actually think this talk about seeing the kingdom of God is referring first and foremost not to the transfiguration, but to Jesus' resurrection. You see, when the crucified Jesus came forth from the grave, God's kingdom was unleashed in the world. And then a little bit later on the day of Pentecost, when the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus poured out His Spirit... God's glorious and grace-filled kingdom was actually made available to all who trust in Jesus. So I don't think verse 27 is referring directly to the transfiguration, but that doesn't mean it's not related to the transfiguration. What's the relationship? What's this? Jesus' transfiguration, what took place on that mountain, was actually a preview of His resurrection and of what He accomplished at Pentecost. It was a sneak peak of God's coming kingdom that's embodied in the person of Jesus, which means though the transfig- through the transfiguration, Jesus gave three of his disciples a foretaste of what his crucifixion would lead to. What it would lead to is this, that Jesus would be known for who he truly is, that He is the glorious Lord who has conquered sin and death through His own sacrificial death. And therefore, on that mountain, Peter, James, and John actually got a glimpse of the glory that was to come because of and after the cross. So the context here that precedes the transfiguration is the cross that's actually ushered in God's kingdom of life and glory. So we've got to keep the context in mind, and as we do, let's now look at the details of this amazing event known as the Transfiguration. And in doing so, I want us to see three things. First, I want us to see that the Transfiguration was a gift, a gift of Jesus given to three of His disciples who themselves later on shared this gift with all Christians. We're told at the very end of the story that as soon as it happened, they experienced it, they remained absolutely silent about it in those days. What are those days? Well, those days right then before the crucifixion and resurrection. But after Jesus was raised and the Spirit was given, what did they do? They wrote it down so that we actually get to experience this gift as well. Now, we can just imagine 
how these disciples on that day felt. Jesus has been talking about the cross. They had no capacity in their minds to hold together these two things, the Messiah and the cross. For them, there is no cross when we're talking about Messiah. Jesus is saying, no, if I am the Messiah, and he is, then I have come to die. And so he's been talking about the cross, and we can imagine how they felt. We can imagine them being perplexed, pained, even overwhelmed, so much so that they probably missed entirely Jesus' words about resurrection and returning in glory and the kingdom of God. And because Jesus knew this, he chose to lead the core of the 12, eight days after his words about the cross, up a mountain in order to give them, again, the sneak peek of who he truly is to give them a taste of his coming glory, a taste meant to encourage and sustain them even amidst all the terrifying news about the cross. And seen in this way, Jesus led these three disciples up a mountain because he knew what they needed most. He knew that they needed a glimpse of his glory. And my friends, the same is true for us. What we need most when we find ourselves dejected downcast, pained and perplexed, is a renewed sight of Jesus. We need to see him as the all-powerful Lord who actually holds our lives in his hands and who's promised never to leave us or forsake us. Because here's the thing, the only way we can bear the cross that we've all been called to bear is by seeing Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency to see the glory of his love and grace. We need a glimpse of Jesus' glory. The transfiguration, this story, is a gift to us, and it's a gift that holds out the promise that when we seek Jesus, and specifically when we seek him in prayer, we'll see his saving and securing glory. Because notice, this whole scene unfolds in the context of prayer. According to verse 29, Jesus' glory was unveiled while he prayed. Point being, in prayer, Jesus meets us in our need by renewing our vision of who he is and what he's done on our behalf. That he is the glorious Lord who is with us and who is for us. And what an encouragement, especially on a sad day to know this is the one who is for you and for this church. So even as your earthly shepherd leaves, your glorious shepherd remains. He is here. Pastors do come and pastors do go, but the true pastor of this church will never leave. He is here and he is at work for this church, for the good of Trinity Presbyterian Church. And so on this day, We need the gift of the transfiguration, which reminds us that Jesus is indeed the Lord of glory. Second, I want us to see the actual event. What actually took place on that mountain? Well, we can't get to the bottom of it. It's mysterious. It's as mysterious as as God himself. And yet we can say some things about it. Luke tells us in verse 29 that after Jesus led three of his disciples up a mountain, that the most amazing and unexpected event occurred. Again, while Jesus prayed, Luke tells us that his face was altered and his clothing 
became dazzling white. Literally, it says that they began to flash like lightning. On that mountain, Jesus' face and form became radically different so that it began to blaze with indescribable brightness. Now, when we read this story, we've got to hear the echoes. In particular, we've got to hear the echoes of what happened to Moses in Exodus 33 and 34 of the time when he on a mountain prayed. He prayed, God, show me your glory, to which God responded, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. However, you can't see my face. No human can see me and live, God told Moses. A human being cannot look directly into the face of God and survive. And so rather than revealing himself face to face, God gave Moses a veiled glimpse of his goodness. And as a result of seeing God's goodness, we're told that Moses' face began to shine. And it shined so brightly that he had to cover his own face because the people were afraid to come near him. Moses' face shined. And now here, on another mountain, we see Jesus' face shining. And what Luke wants us to see is both the connection and the contrast between Moses and Jesus. What's the connection? Well, Jesus is the new Moses. What's the contrast? Well, as the new Moses, he is greater than Moses. You see, Moses' face shined because it was reflecting the glory of God. As the moon reflects the light of the sun, so Moses' face reflected God's glory. But here in the transfiguration, Jesus' face and form were not reflecting God's glory, though they were actually revealing God's glory. Put another way, God's glory wasn't something Jesus received like Moses did. Rather, God's glory was something he possessed intrinsically from him, from his own person. The glory of the eternal God began to blaze and shine upon that mountain. And one of the things we need to recognize in pondering this is that the transfiguration occurred not because Jesus all of a sudden sort of pulled back his humanity so that the glory of God could be seen, as if his humanity were a barrier to the revelation of God's glory. No, the the picture Luke paints here is one where God's glorious brightness pierced through Jesus' humanity. His flesh didn't disappear in the transfiguration. Rather, it in a sense became translucent, meaning his humanity was the very vehicle through which God's glory was displayed. Now, we've got to think through this. God had told Moses, no one, no human can see my face and live. We creatures, sinful creatures at that, cannot handle a direct sight of God's glory. But... What if God became a human? What if God had a human face? We could actually begin to look at his face. We could see his glory and live, actually be made alive by seeing it. We could gaze at his face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we heard earlier from 2 Corinthians 3, so that in beholding the glory of the Lord, we ourselves would begin to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Meaning, we were created with glory. Think of Adam in the garden. We lost it. Jesus comes to renew us. One degree, Adam, to the true degree seeing Christ and being made like Christ. 
Seeing Jesus' glory is what transforms us. So let me ask you, do you want to see the glory of God? The glory that alone is able to take your broken and sinful life and begin to transform it. Well, the transfiguration, this gift says, look no further than Jesus Christ. He, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, is the very radiance of the glory of God. My friends, only a sight of God's glory can satisfy the deep well of our hearts. And what this story tells us is that God's good and gracious glory, the glory of His eternal being and eternal love, is seen and available in Jesus. That's why we're called to gaze always at Jesus, upon Jesus who, for the joy set before Him, did what? Endured the cross for our salvation so that we might be transformed. So on this mountain, Jesus was revealed to be who He truly was, God in the flesh, the Lord of glory. But with this revelation also came a conversation. Verse 30, and behold, two men were talking with Him, Moses and Elijah. I've always wondered how they knew it was Moses and Elijah, but they knew it. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke of His departure, which He was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Why those two guys? Well, because they're the two great representatives of the Old Testament. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. And as the chief representatives of the Old Testament, they were also the two great pointers, pointing away from themselves so as to point ahead to the Deliverer to come, who is Jesus. Seen in this way, their presence on the mountain is a vivid reminder that the entire story of the Old Testament finds its fruition and fulfillment in Jesus. The Old Testament is our book because it's a book centered upon Christ. It speaks about and shows us His glory. Yes, there's a lot of stories. There's laws. But that's not ultimately what it's about. It's about Christ. We take up the Old Testament... Because throughout, it's a book about our Savior, about what He would come to do and has done for us. You know, there's another reason Moses and Elijah appeared. I think it has to do with the fact that both of these men were, in a sense, spared a normal death. We know the story of Elijah. Rather than dying, what happened? He was taken up in a chariot of fire. You think, well, Moses died. Yes, Moses did die, as we're told in Deuteronomy. But we're also told that he was mysteriously buried by God himself. Now, that's a funeral, isn't it? No one ever knew the location where Moses was buried. And it led people to start saying, you know, one day he just walked off and never returned. Led many to say that maybe God had actually spared him death as well. You think, well, why does all this matter? Well, what were Jesus, Moses, and Elijah conversing about? About Jesus' departure. And the word departure is literally exodus. And it refers to Jesus' impending death, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. Two men who had been spared death were talking with the one who came to suffer death, who came to give himself up to death in order to accomplish the true exodus. So that through his sacrificial death, you and I, in belonging to Him, might be spared the finality and full consequence of death. Because Jesus came to willingly give Himself up 
give himself over to death so that he might overcome death. And in overcoming death, be known as Jesus the Conqueror. Jesus the crucified is Jesus the conqueror giving his life so that we in him might overcome death. Death has no final word over the one who belongs to Christ because it had no final word over Jesus. And so here are these two men held up as ones who were in a sense spared death, talking to the one who came to suffer death, and he suffered death so that every one of us might be spared the finality of death. What a conversation this must have been. If we'd have been there, I think we'd have been utterly speechless. Unless we're like Peter, who just felt the need to speak, even though he had no idea what he was speaking about. Look at verses 32 and 33. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. I think they were scared to death, but the death came out in a nap. Jesus is transfigured. He's conversing with Moses and Elijah, and there they are taking a nap. They're drowsy. Their senses are dull. But, says Luke, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, here he is, the spokesman of the twelve, Master, it's good that we're here. I got an idea. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And then Luke adds, notice it, don't skip over it, not knowing what he said. Now at first, I think Peter is simply just expressing his amazement at this dramatic event. It starts happening, he finds himself snoozing. He begins to wake up, it's still happening, and he's like, and he just has to talk. It's a marvelous thing that we're here. And it was. To see Jesus transfigured, to witness the appearance of Moses and Elijah, it would have been amazing to be there. And if that's all Peter would have said, if, if he would have just inserted foot at that moment rather than waiting a little bit later, something to just done, everything would have been fine. But in talking all the more, he showed and proved his ignorance. Of what was he ignorant? Well, he was ignorant of who Jesus really is. You see, at that moment, Peter could only see Jesus as an equal. An equal with Moses and Elijah. Let's build three tents. One for you, one for him, one for him. But at the same time, Peter also showed his ignorance in that he wanted to capture and control this moment. Rather than seeing the transfiguration as a preview of the glory to come, Peter wanted this moment to be perpetual. Point being, Peter wanted the glory, but he wanted it without the cross. Jesus, let's just stay here and forget all this talk about you having to die and about us having to take up the cross. It's good that we're here now. Let's just stay here forever. But what would have happened if they'd have stayed on that mountain? Well, then the full and saving glory of Jesus would have never come. The only way Jesus can reveal the true and full saving glory of God is if he descends into the valley from that mountain, into the valley of the cross. Yes, it was good to be there, but it wouldn't have been good for them to stay there. It wouldn't have been good for us. Now, Jesus must go to the cross because only through his humiliation, his gracious humiliation, can we enter into his glorious exaltation. 
And that brings us to the third thing I want us to see, and that is the implication of the transfiguration. After Peter's clumsy comment, Luke tells us that a cloud rolled in and overshadowed the mountain. And this was no ordinary cloud. No, this was God's glory cloud, His spirit of glory cloud. The very same cloud that rested on Mount Sinai during the time of the Exodus. The same cloud that descended on the tabernacle in the wilderness. And the very same cloud that filled Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And now here it is again on this mountain where Jesus was. And Luke tells us that out of this cloud came a voice. It's the voice of God the Father. Now this isn't the first time one hears the voice of God the Father in Luke or in the Gospels. It's also heard at Jesus' baptism, at the beginning of His ministry, when the Father spoke to Him directly and said, You're my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased. And at that point at Jesus' baptism, it was a word of love and encouragement to Jesus to fulfill His ministry. And now here on this mountain, that same voice speaks again, speaking at the turning point of Jesus' ministry. But notice, who's the voice directed to? At the baptism, it's directed to Jesus. But at the transfiguration, it's directed to the disciples. This is a word from the Father given to them and to us to keep us in the way of following Jesus to the cross and beyond. And what did the Father say? Look at verse 35. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to Him. This is my son. Stop talking, Peter, and start listening. This is my chosen one. Stop trying to be in control and instead contemplate him. Set your heart and your mind on him. How? By listening to him. And then Luke tells us in verse 36 that when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And that's the whole point. That's the implication of the transfiguration because it's meant to teach us through and through about the centrality of Jesus. You see, from the Father's point of view, God the Father's point of view, and I hope you would agree with me, it's really the only point of view that matters, right? From the Father's point of view, it's always and only, always and only about Jesus, about Jesus alone about Him who willingly gave up His life in love for His Father and in love for you so that we might be forgiven and we might be freed. About Him alone who's been resurrected, who came forth from that grave that we might be given a sure hope now. It's about Him who's overshadowed our lives with His own Spirit that we might love Him all the more by listening to Him always. So let me ask you again, do you want to see God's soul-ravishing, life-transforming glory? You're actually in the right place this morning. For it's first and foremost in corporate worship, which is our corporate prayer service, that Jesus, in a sense, leads us up to the mountain where we, by grace through faith, find ourselves, again, by grace through faith and the work of His Spirit, awake wide-eyed, so that we might gaze upon Jesus' glory, the glory of His sacrificial love, 
the glory of his willingness to give himself for us. And as we gaze upon his glory, we do so not with our physical eyes, and we do so with our ears, our ears being attuned to his voice. We behold the glory of the Lord by listening. And that brings us back to where we began with what I said about my own ministry to you over nearly 10 years. How by God's grace, I trust it's been a ministry of taking the Father's command to listen to His Son seriously. I can say all I've ever wanted, all I've ever desired, is for you to see Jesus by listening to Jesus. You know, someone said to Nisia years ago that they really didn't learn anything about me personally from my sermons. I didn't really learn anything about Brandon when I listened to him preach. Whether they realize it or not, I guess that's one of the best compliments a preacher could ever be given. Because all I ever wanted was to preach Christ. I wanted you to know Him, to hear Him, to love Him, and depend upon Him who loved you first, who loved you best. I've wanted to give you Christ. I really have nothing else to say to you than look and listen to Jesus. Because He alone has the power and the desire to give rest to our restless hearts. So as I leave, I have nothing better to say to you than what the Father Himself has already said. Listen to Jesus. He alone has the words of life because He alone is the word of life, the gift of the Father given for you so that your life might be secure, even whenever you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you might not fear any evil. For He guards you, comforts you, is at work in those moments for your good, individually and as a congregation. Your true pastor is here, He's been here. He will always be here. Listen and look to Him. I beg you, now and always. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son. I pray that each of us would heed Your command to listen to Him. We need Him. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You have given Yourself to us. And through your death and resurrection, you have gifted us in so many ways. You've gifted us with your own spirit. You've gifted us with this community, this family. And we need this family. We need the church so that together we might walk in the way of the cross and on into the day of glory when we will see you face to face. And when we see you, we will be like you. What a day to come. Help us on our way. Help us to help one another, for Jesus' sake. Amen.